see, the thing is, I, I think the issue is remote work or distributed work is a fact of life that's not going away. I can guarantee you that the, the, the technologists I've worked with all my life and the people working on technologies, metaverse technologies, are all aiming towards a better experience, a more full sense, sensory experience. Hello world, this is SpartyCast. Do you ever get that feeling that you forgot to record the intro to your podcast and then you realize that it has to get recorded quickly so it can be released the next day on the date that everyone expects the podcast to come out? Yeah? Yeah? Well, I have that feeling, hence I am recording this on my phone in my car. Welcome to Sparty Guest, episode 31. Welcoming back Dr. Ramnath Lakshmi Ratan, my dad, to the show. The first repeat caller, customer, guest. And we discuss remote work and Zoom fatigue and many other things that are super interesting and relevant to the world today. So I hope you check it out and enjoy the episode. Hello, Dr. Dad. Hello, Dr. Son. <laughs> um thanks for coming back to the sparty cast you're the first return uh customer oh wow cool you know our episode that that we did the first one is actually one of the most listened to episodes of all 30 so far wow and and why do you think that was because we were talking about bell labs and i may communications. Be, i think it's because you have a lot of friends on the internet <laughs> 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 yeah i do have a big network yeah. it's been, when you when you've been in uh, as many companies as i have between between bell and hall pitney bowes vocal tech bell labs you know it's a big techie community and they're all over the place i still yeah. say connected to a lot of them and they and they pay attention to linkedin i think that's an important piece of this and maybe we'll come back yeah. to linkedin as a topic but You've been in LinkedIn for a long time, right? Yeah, pretty much from the first few days. I mean, uh, the first year or so that LinkedIn came out, I think I joined. And uh, so, yeah, I've been in LinkedIn for a long time. LinkedIn must be doing so well with the pandemic and hiring, remote work and all that, you think? I think they are. It's a, it's a, it's a very important professional tool. Let me put it that way. I mean, I think most people, uh, I think, you look at Facebook as more personal, family, uh, social, and they look at LinkedIn as more professional. And at, the point, at some point, I remember, you know, we, we used to keep calendars and contact names and addresses and phone numbers and all that. And, and eventually, you basically just connected to someone on LinkedIn and you didn't bother to keep, you know, of course, on your cell phone, you still have phone numbers, but LinkedIn became your contact because it was self-updating because of people would update their own contact information. So yeah. you don't have to update and someone moved or changed their phone. <laughs> Who needs a Palm Pilot anymore? <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> you used to carry around one of those. And then I, I remember yeah. I, I jumped on and got one. Um, yeah. But I've been thinking about early on in the LinkedIn days, to mm -hmm. me, it seemed kind of dull, right? It wasn't an exciting social media platform, but now, maybe it's 
the most exciting one because it's actually like people restrain themselves. You're not going to get into an, a political argument on LinkedIn. You're not going to yeah. see inappropriate photos. Um, so maybe it's the best place to actually interact, though, of course, it's very professional. Yeah, I mean, and I've seen uh, it's, it's self-policing in the sense that a lot of LinkedIn members, if they see someone post something inappropriate or political or controversial, they'll basically say, this doesn't belong here. Yeah. This is more, more focused on you know, professionalism and doing business, whether it's professionalism from the point of view of a discipline or an area or a field or an industry, they, they focus on that and they don't focus on personal stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this, is, this is the topic we want to discuss today in a way, um, mm -hmm. the, the professional metaverse, the okay. online mm -hmm. kind of platform <clears throat> facilitate remote work, but not just remote work, it's just work. <laughs> uh, right. It'll become synonymous with work, right? Yeah, I mean, it's more than work in, in the sense that when, when you said, you know, what should we talk about? And I said, you know, we should talk about your NSF grant and, and your research on remote work. I was thinking about it. I mean, it's it, the, the, I was trying to kind of frame it in my own head. And it's, it's actually, the, the way I can think about it is, is you know, it, it's an issue of thinking about a philosophy of, of time, place, and person uh, in the sense that, you know, we all live in a here and now and me kind of world. And what all of these technologies do is they enable you to not just here, now, me, but anywhere, anytime, and any one or any, think of it in your terminology of any avatar of me, okay? So I don't have to be there. Uh, it doesn't have to be right now. I can, I can time shift, I can place shift, and I can personality shift or person, persona shift. Hmm. Um, and, and so technology allows you to do all of these things. And, 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 and so it's, it's about work, play, live, learn, all the things we do as human beings all of these are amenable. I mean, I've told you, I'm going to school now, right? Yes, let's talk about that too. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I, just, I think I told you I just finished, you know, midterms. Uh -huh. I had three, three assignments and each assignment is a set of problems. And, uh, and you have to write a, like a mini essay. It's a summary of the chapter that, that we're studying. Um, Actually a master's program in nanoengineering. And the first course I'm taking is an MSc 500 course in it's basically material science and engineering, mm -hmm. uh, graduate level material science and engineering class. Sure. So okay. you learn about you know atoms and molecules and electrons and 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 how how you know different metals and elements are composed and where the electron orbits are. And having learned that, you figure out how these things combine together to form ions or how they how they create crystals. And you study crystals and. And then you study diffusion of one element and another, and how alloys are formed. And, and, and of course, right now we're studying phase diagrams, but phase diagrams came after the midterm. But so far I finished three assignments and a midterm. And uh, so far I don't have my midterm grades yet, but I got a hundred out of hundred on the first three assignments. Nice. Good yeah. job. <laughs> you do have to remember a lot of my old math. I have to go back and reread my old math. It's been a math. while. I know. I know. Um, you can't play as much golf, huh? <laughs> you no. Study. no, no. Actually, the, so this is the point. The NC State University Grad School decided that all of these lectures would be 
not in person, mm -hmm. virtual, but it's not just virtual, it's virtual and asynchronous, which means these are recorded lectures. Mm -hmm. So the way I attend class is I, I basically fire up uh, an MP4 file, which is a recorded one and a half hour lecture of this professor giving this lecture. And there are, and it's a, it's a recording of a lecture that was done in person. So there are students in the class. Oh, really? Asking, who are asking questions. So he's lecturing and, you know, there's, there's a question and answer, you know, element of it and there's interaction. So a, a lot of these asynchronous recorded lecture, you know, things like, for example, because I was interested in the topic and there was something that was hard to understand, I also found a whole bunch of YouTube videos from IIT Delhi. I mean, the IITs, the Indian Institute of Technology, are considered among the best technical schools in the world. And one of the professors from IIT Delhi has created a whole sequence of YouTube videos on material science and engineering. So same topic, same subject, and he's actually using the same textbook, you know, Callister and Reswich. Mm -hmm. So, but his methodology is completely different. The purely recorded YouTube videos done with him sitting alone with, with material at his desk. Which is and, what I would expect to be the norm. At least that's, that's what we do here at MSU also. When you record mm -hmm. an asynchronous lecture, it's just you and maybe some slides. It's rarely an, a, a live lecture. Right, but this the NC State one mm -hmm. actually is is a recording of a live lecture. So even yeah. though it happened two years ago, yeah. it's the same material, same topic, and I'm assuming similar students, yeah, similar level you know, of students and understanding. So the questions are similar. Mm -hmm. So there are questions that you'd want to ask that one of these guys asks. So so and you listen to the answer from the professor. So it's an interesting kind of an experience of of you know remote learning, but there's different methodologies for remote learning, obviously. Absolutely. Which, which one do you think is, which, what's your hypothesis? Which one do you think is better for learning? Is it being able to listen to the interaction? I think listening to the interactions added an element which is definitely unique. Uh, now, obviously it's not your interaction. It's, it's a third party interaction with the professor, but it still is, is, a, it, it is a very interesting element of this whole notion of you know, remote. Uh, time shifted, place shifted, person shifted, uh, experience in learning. I'm assuming in work too, it'll be a similar thing. I mean, let's say you're, you know, remote work. I mean, and so, so, so by the way, so this, when you said, let's talk about the metaverse from a business point of view, I first started, the reason I thought about, you know, any place, anywhere, anytime, any person is because at AT&T and Bell Labs, we used to talk about the communications networks vision as being any anywhere, anytime communication. So being able to uh, see, hear, talk to someone anytime, anywhere, no matter where you were, where they were, okay? And, and as a matter of fact, communications and AT&T's network being, and Bell Labs being one of the original ones, actually enabled this whole, what we now take for granted as remote work. And, and as a matter of fact, I, I think I've told you, when I was at Bell Labs at the Consumer Lab, one of the required readings I gave for our, my whole group was Neil Stevenson's book. Was it really? <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't Snow, remember that. Snow Crash, Snow Crash. was required yeah. reading at Bell Labs. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Because because we were we were actually working on on elements and concepts, and I think I've told you that, right? You know, like video on demand and 
video telephony, et cetera, which basically we thought of as the future, which became eventually what now you call the internet by and large, but we were looking at remote doctors remotely performing operations long. Now they take it for granted. Now doctors actually remotely perform operations and they'll have robots that'll actually do the, perform the actual surgery. And, and the doctor could be sitting in New York and the patient could be sitting in, in Delhi, India. But back then we were trying to study the very early concepts of what does it mean to actually, you know, what eventually people start to call telepresence. What does it mean to be present halfway around the world? Do you need all five senses? And across a communications network, how do you enable all these senses, you know, sight, sound, hearing, touch, the proprioceptive sense, you know, support of balance, et cetera. We were working on all of these things, but even back then in this, in, and going back to the seventies and, and definitely the eighties, there was a lot of work being shifted remotely. A lot of it had to do with cost. So the original remote work that I remember was outsourcing or you know, offshoring work to cheaper labor area markets like India and China. And India and the Philippines became very important labor markets for call centers because these were, these were countries where people were in much less money. So the average salary of an engineer was one-tenth the salary of an engineer here, maybe one-twentieth the salary of an engineer. So in China, it became uh, offshoring for manufacturing purposes because language was less important. So in, in India and the Philippines, these were English-speaking people. So you could get a call center representative and here you'd have to pay, let's say $10 an hour. There you would pay 10 cents an hour. That person had the same you know, good standard of living. Because so that's, of that's, living. A, that's a shift in, I mean, we, we think about remote work given our current context, but if you mm -hmm. think about remote work really as just a geographic distribution of your workforce, the, mm -hmm. the person doesn't have to move. It's the work that moves, right? So exactly. Then outsourcing from back then is, is remote work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was a, it's a, was a huge part of actually the outsourcing was driven by cost issues. Mm -hmm. and, and because it, in a very simple way, it, it also was enabled by telecommunications networks. And I remember when, when we were in AT&T and Bell Labs, the concept of running what we used to call 24-hour development cycles for software. So normally, you know, people come to work, you write code, at the end of the day, you go home, maybe software developers tend to have different kinds of hours, but, and, and we said, look, you know, if we were to have a team in Murray Hill, New Jersey, and a team, you know, 10 hours away in Pune, India, and a team another four, five hours away in Singapore, Literally, you could have these three teams working in, in eight-hour shifts and the work always work never stops. And, and so, but if you had a guy writing a piece of code in, in, in Murray Hill, New Jersey, and then a guy in Pune, India, then taking up and continuing to write that code, and then some and a gal in Singapore then take, picking up from that guy and continuing to finish that code, you, you, you this actually was the original truly creating shared work environments where the, the technical aspects of opening a file, closing a file, logging off a database, logging onto the database, who actually did the last piece of work and who wrote what lines, all of that software engineering became important because it was not just remote, but it was remote work that was shared among multiple people in multiple geographic locations. 
and it dramatically speeded the process of software engineering and software development. Hmm. Now, it's different for hardware, different for other things, but for information, like even artwork, you know, let's say you start a painting and, and you go to sleep and then someone across the world picks up from where you stopped and continues the painting. It's like writing software code. Yeah, uh, you can sell, way, a more, sell way more <laughs> NFTs that way. Exactly. Right. So, <laughs> Globally so, distributed so, NFT art creation. Yeah. I mean, so, so labor cost was a, was a very important part of the, the, what I would call remote and distributed work or distributed workforces mm -hmm. uh, back then. And, and over the years, it became more and more common. Uh, but some industries, you know, obviously took longer to adopt this because of, you know, a lot of it depended on adopting the, the technology and the work process and the procedures. But the pandemic, I think, accelerated dramatically this whole concept of distributed work to an extreme level, where you, you, you really had to have a distributed workforce that worked from home. They, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll continue to do that. And you sent me that article um, from the Wall Street Journal about mm -hmm. some of the uh, incentives that these remote places are giving for skilled workers to, to move oh, absolutely. There. I mean, that's, and, and that, I find that a fascinating kind of a new development in the sense that uh, it used to be, and it still is, that cities and states give huge tax incentives to businesses to move there so that they can create work and, and develop the economy and get work, have, have jobs for, the, for, their, for their population. And now it's just the worker, not the business. Now, they, now basically, the, a lot of these, you know, like Montana and, and, and Idaho. Topeka, Kansas, right? I think that Topeka, was in the article. Kansas. Basically, yeah. they're saying, move here, we'll give you $50,000. If, if you live here and work from here and, and work for any, we don't care who you work for. You, you can work for... Amazon in out of Seattle, or you can work for, uh, you know, Tesla out of Austin, Texas. So um, let's think. Let's think five years ahead here, um, mm -hmm. because at the moment I feel like the consensus is that this is a great deal, at least for skilled workers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I don't have to live in this congested city or in in this area of the world I don't like as much. I can move anywhere I want. I can make the same amount of money. My buying power goes up if I move somewhere that's you know less populated. Um, so it sounds like a great idea, but I think there might be some unintended or at least unexpected consequences relating to expectations around work. So um, the cycle of work in, in mm -hmm. your day right now. Oh yeah, I mean, we, when we started this whole concept of uh, remote work. And as a matter of fact, at, at Bell and Howe, one of the things we had is I had a thousand field engineers, field technicians, and they lived all over the country. And, and most of them worked from, because that was part of the business model is we had all these service technicians and we needed to have people all over the country because we needed to have the ability to be, uh, we used to call it one a maximum one and a half hour response time for any customer's equipment anywhere across the 50 United States. So we had people in Alaska, people in Hawaii, and in the, in the 48 lower states, we had literally people within one and a half hours of every zip code, okay? Mm -hmm. So that means you really needed to have people distributed and you can't have all of these facilities. So you enable a, a workforce that literally works from home. So a lot of my technicians would have their equipment, their tools and parts in the trunk of their car. This and is in the 90s? 
this has been going on from 95 to even to today still goes on. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is one Bell & Howe's main uh, value as a technical uh, service organization was we had all these mechatronics experts who were servicing very highly complicated manufacturing equipment for customers all over the US, actually all over the world for that matter at one point till we sold the international business. So we had built this discipline of people working remotely. And it, it's a lot more than having a computer and, and being in a, in, a, in a cell phone, it used to be, it used to be uh, Blackberry and, and uh, beepers before Blackberries and then Blackberries and then cell phones. And then now every one of the Bell and Howe engineers has a very sophisticated device. It's called an iPhone. And by the way, it is a very sophisticated device because it actually gets embedded into the process. So if he's fixing a piece of equipment and he needs advice from a colleague in headquarters, he can actually use the iPhone and it, and it can actually take a video and it, that video gets connected into, into basically a database. So they can actually look at different parts. It can slow down, you know, these machines work very, very fast. The video can actually slow it down. So you can actually see different parts working. Uh, and, and if something is broken or rubbing in the wrong way or needs to be fixed, he can get that kind of advice. So the, that, and it also is, is, has an app that he uses for, for ordering parts, ordering replacements, filling out you know, service orders, et cetera. So we built this discipline of, you know, what does it mean to go to work when you're you know, 3000 miles away? Um, so we had, in a sense, we had kind of like a hub and spoke model where you know the whole business was run out of headquarters here in Durham, North Carolina. But in, we had like six regions, actually seven regions of the country where we had you know, senior directors who managed the teams in those regions. And then in a, at, a, at a smaller level, locally in a particular region, you might have 10 technicians living within 50 miles of each other. And one of them was a supervisor or the group head of those 10 people. So like a hub and spoke kind of model. Mm -hmm. um, but each of these folks would wake up in the morning and they had a discipline. You know, of course, these guys would get messages through the night, et cetera, but they had a discipline of looking at email, a discipline of doing administrative work, and a discipline of getting you know, dispatch orders and getting dispatched and going to the customer's location. In some cases, our guys would actually work at the customer's location. So certain customers we had agreements with that the, our technicians would come to their factory and that's where they had a locker and their stuff was there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it was, a, it was an interesting model, but it was very useful because when the pandemic happened, one of the big things that a lot of companies didn't know how to do was to manage this way, was to manage distributed workforces working from home or from anywhere. And, and there's, a, there's a whole process for doing this. You know, you have to understand what is the discipline for managing a remote worker? How do you do performance reviews? How do you know he or she is actually working and, and doesn't have a part-time job at Walmart and, and, and really is do <laughs> not actually doing your stuff? Yeah. So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a process that you have to build and you have to have the right IT infrastructure, the right human resources infrastructure, the right financial infrastructure and companies to support this way of working. And, and it, it took a lot of companies, a lot of work during the pandemic to suddenly make this shift. And let me tell you, what's happened is that because they made this shift after the pandemic, I think a lot of people realized, 
Of course, from a cost point of view, they said, oh, we don't need these millions of square feet of office space anymore because blah, 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 people can work from anywhere. Oh, maybe we need only 100,000 square feet and all these thousands of people can share it. Like when they are in town, they can use a, a cubicle or a desk or an office. Sure, sure. And, and rest of the time they're on the road or at home. So cost became an important part of it. But having run these kind of businesses for a long time, I think you're right. There are some unintended consequences of not being at the place where all the action is. So political action, the, the company decision action, et cetera. I mean, and the, and the earliest kind of, uh, what I remember in, from my career, people kind of sensing this were the expats. So, uh, you know, every company doing business globally used to send people, they call exp expats. Mm -hmm. And and as an expat, you can have a great life. You know, you're the, you're the senior most person in 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 uh, Shenzhen, China, for your business, your company. And then, and you and you know, your cost of living, your standard of living, the company pays for you to fly back home, you know, three times a year, two times a year, vacations, etc. But what expats used to feel was that they would lose connection with the with the water cooler conversations. Um, and the uh, politics yeah. of politics of making networks, personal networks, and getting promoted, and and being put on lists of high performers, so that part, which is, is is much more difficult to maintain. What I remember from the days of discussing with expats is also true when it comes to remote work. Hello, listener. It's me, but I'm an avatar. You probably learn about avatars in this podcast, but you can actually try them out, not just in video games, but in spaces like Zoom. I'm using Zoom to record this right now. This avatar I created with Ready Player Me. Remember in episode a long time ago, I talked to Timo Toke, the CEO of Wolf3D. That's the company that makes Ready Player Me. I took a screenshot of myself with my camera, a selfie, I should say, and I created an avatar automatically, customized it in their app. Then I posted it in Animes. That's the software I'm using right now. They are the sponsor of this message and they are giving a 50% discount on subscriptions. You can try it for free, but if you want to subscribe, you enter Sparty Lab as the discount code. That's S-P-A-R-T-I-E -E Lab. So you can use a Ready Player Me avatar, like I mentioned. You can also upload your own VRM or live 2D models, or you can make avatars right in animes. For example, you could use the Doge avatar. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I mean, it might've seemed like like a, a strange thing at first, but but Dogecoin is, is still making bucks. Um, but you could use the Doge avatar or one of their very cool anthropomorphic animals, such as the Fluffo, the raccoon, totally detailed. Look at this, it's so responsive. People use these types of avatars to stream or go to Zoom meetings or go to, go to court cases and say, I am not a cat. There are also two-dimensional avatars like this raccoon or more anthropomorphic avatars that aren't even animals like this cute pandemic virus right here. Corey, 
Corey, the COVID. Maybe this one won't win you too many friends. I really like Kathy. She's quite a catch. You could choose whichever avatar you like. And then you could even apply some of the concepts like the Proteus effect or other phenomena related to avatars in the workplace to your uses of these avatars uh, based on what you've learned in this podcast. And once again, if you wanna try it out, go to Steam, download Animes, try it for free. And then if you want a subscription, you can get 50% off for a limited time by entering Sparty Lab in the discount code. Check it out. Is that but, people- But it doesn't have to be, right? Because then we have these tools like Zoom or, or metaverse technologies, LinkedIn, virtual worlds, all of that, um, which can replicate- Which is why I think I think the, your, your NSF grant topic when you described it to me is this whole notion of in this whole area of remote work, how do you make sure that you ensure equality, diversity, et cetera? Those are similar issues um, which you deal with differently when people come together. Mm -hmm. And you can actually see the social and political interactions of people in personal interactions in a workplace. Because a lot of these interactions don't happen in the context of work. They happen in the, in the spaces between work, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, in, the, in the water cooler space, in the lunch space, in the, in the you know, tea room break space, yeah. in the you know, playing football on a weekend uh, on, the, on the finance team space. And I would argue even, even in the workplace uh, or in the workspace, a lot of the inequalities that, um, that exist by race, by gender, et cetera, might go unnoticed, right? They're not measurable. You, mm -hmm. I, of course, there is research on, let's say, turn taking, or or the amount that men speak in meetings compared to women. Of course, women um, traditionally haven't been like afforded as much of a voice in meetings, but mm -hmm. it's hard to really count that when you're in a face-to-face -face meeting. But if you're in a right. Zoom meeting or in a virtual world, you can literally use software to count these things and, and potentially use software to try to correct for them. So in a, in mm -hmm. the, that's, I guess, one, one focus of our proposal. Can you think of any kind of general psychological and technological um, approaches to that type of problem based on maybe some, some of the earlier remote work metaphors that... Well, you know, the, the, it goes back to this whole concept of telepresence. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, how you work with other people, I mean, especially if you're working physically in the same team, in the same room, on the, in the, on the same product, on the same workbench, whatever it is, it's, it's things you don't even think about. You know, I remember, you know, this is with, with my, my good friend Carl, who was my boss. You know, I used to go with certain meetings with him and I could tell when he'd come home, come back from having Chinese food for lunch, um, as opposed to having a hamburger because it was, he was much more pungent, let me put it that way. And, and so it's, it's things like that. You, you don't think about how it affects uh, how you interact with someone. Uh, do you move away? Do you, uh, I mean, things that you don't even realize you're thinking, you know, whether it is whether it's prejudices, biases, mm -hmm. affinities, et cetera, uh, all of these things come from your senses. Mm -hmm. and, and this whole concept of telepresence or, or the metaverse is how much of those senses can you 
measure. Hmm. Uh, can you on a on a Zoom meeting? Can you actually you know smell the the, the you know? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Zoom plus okay. television. Not ready for that. <laughs> but you know the sound of people's voices, mm -hmm. um, and you know people get hot in meetings, or they get sad, or they, they get nervous and listening to their voice crack. Mm -hmm. uh, how how much fidelity is there in this metaverse as opposed to sitting there and actually watching the person sweat? But I think uh, one response to that question that we're hoping to at, at least consider, even maybe build a bit. Um, is is media or well mediated selves avatars mm -hmm. right? right um your your voice can crack but maybe the voice correction software doesn't let that happen or maybe mm -hmm. it completely masks your gender and age so that no right. one judges you for that even though you're the smartest person in the room you might be uh younger or otherwise kind of seen as as um as powerless compared or to maybe it corrects your accent and you now sound like you're from north carolina as opposed to <laughs> immigrant from india <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and that's just a voice avatar right the physical right. appearance avatar is mm -hmm. a big piece of it and who knows there could be other things that that we judge people on like the firmness of your handshake well uh i you can handshake probably at some point in your vr gloves and mm -hmm. um so all of that stuff can be used to but i don't know is there a danger by the way See, the thing is, I, I think the issue is remote work or distributed work is a fact of life that's not going away. I can guarantee you that the, the, the technologists I've worked with all my life, the people working on technologies, metaverse technologies, are all aiming towards a better experience, a more full sense, sensory experience that allows you to actually measure these things, positive and negative, by the way. I mean, if you look at what's happening with Facebook today and the, and, you know, the whole notion of the negative impact on teenagers and the bullying, et cetera, the same technologies that enable you to be more sensing and sensory are also the same technologies that can be used for good as well as bad, obviously, mm -hmm. right? So, but the fact that it's, you know, remote work is, is and distributed and remote work is a, is a, fact of life is being recognized not just by industry. I, I think I read an article um, that the US uh, government, the, as a matter of fact, I, I forget, I think it's the, the White House head of one of, the, one of the US government organizations has now put a huge focus on in the next budget on investment in understanding and enabling and requiring remote work in all in the executive branch. Now, certain parts of the US government, you know, remote work is probably less meaningless than other parts. Like, I mean, the military is a good example where it's probably very hard to have remote work other than when you're controlling drones, that you're operating a drone, you know, 3000 miles away, that's remote work. It's you and your avatar, the, the drone that are separated. But if you have to have a team exercise from a training point of view, et cetera, People are pretty much together, but if you're, you know, working in the in the agricultural department of agriculture or mm -hmm. the FDA or the CDC mm -hmm. or you know, all of these. The but I think I think also even in the military, um, you know, there's many logistics jobs, information exactly. processing. Like even there, yeah, there's 
no need to be in person, right? So, but the, but the point is that, as I said earlier, when a lot of remote work used to be focused on outsourcing work and distributing work to where the costs were lower and you could find the right labor, it's now becoming a, this is how we work and, and this is how people want to work because for whatever reason, a lot of people want to live where they want to live and they don't want to commute as much as they'd have to. Um, and, and businesses and governments are learning that they have to accommodate that. And huge part of it is investment in technology. I mean, it's, it's, more, it's much more than just giving them a high-speed modem and having a broadband network. It's like I said, it's all these processes. How do you do performance evaluation? Mm-hmm. How does a manager know when two of his remote workers are, are fighting each other or, or collaborating well? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does he evaluate or he or she evaluate a team and, and say, this is going to be the next leader uh, or this one needs training in this particular space? The toughest part of remote work is managing remote workers. And, and understanding how to manage remote workers and having the right tools and technologies for performance evaluation, you know, for, for and, you know, motivating people. I mean, the biggest part of, of most team leadership jobs that I've held was bringing the team together uh, and, and giving them a feeling for where the organization was, the vision of the group, the strategy, the plans for the next year, the budgets, uh, distributing work, understanding, you know, how to motivate them and, and engage them. Uh, that team formation is a very sensory, physical, social, psychological experience. Mm-hmm. How do you do that when that team is distributed around the world? Or you, you give in- them all VR headsets and. Uh... <laughs> Make them feel like they're there together. Actually, that's a very important thing, by the way, is that can an Oculus or VR, whatever VR headset technology you want to use, actually enable people to have this social experience? One of the most important parts of you know interpersonal experience is touch. And whether it's a handshake or a slap on the back or whatever it is, touch is a very important part. And do you lose that? Uh, can you actually, I mean, no, there are haptic devices. You can, VR headset along with a glove, mm-hmm. uh, you know, can, can simulate touch. Um, but do you actually use it in this workplace thing? And how do you use it? How, how, how do you use it in a way in which it doesn't offend somebody, for example? You're not really supposed to touch people at work these days, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's right. You're not supposed to shake hands. You're supposed to bump fists you can bump, bump elbows even bump elbows. Elbows. Oh, that's, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know um a lot of great recent research on virtual reality has suggested that there are strongly meaningful interactions social interactions that happen in these spaces some people are spending 10 12 hours a day in their vr headsets some people sleep in their vr headsets did you know this have i told you this no i didn't know that what was that? <laughs> there are specific VR environments that are like pleasant for sleeping in. And so, you know, you sleep under the stars. <laughs> that is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can see, I guess that's why Mark Zuckerberg is um, so wholly invested in reality labs, right? Oculus mm-hmm. and, and augmented reality, um, because it will replace, at least to some extent, 
these, mm -hmm. these in person. But I want to think 20 years ahead, 30, 40, even 50 years ahead. So we've, we, we're no longer in the cohort of people transitioning into these spaces. Mm -hmm. Now we've got this new cohort um, of people who are training themselves in an education system that doesn't expect geographic co-location with your employer. And the economic incentives are just, I mean, I guess they're similar. It's just to be the best worker so, you can be. So, so, so I think I told you as to why I decided to go back to school and get a master's in nanoengineering. But let me repeat that. Sure. I, I actually, and this, so this is related to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Jump ahead, you know, 10, 20 years, 30 years. I actually believe that the future of industry is nanotechnology. And the future of real things, physical things, is nanotechnology. I mean, already, I, th I think I told you that the last time we talked that, you know, at NC State, there's this research project going on where this guy is working on, on essentially what's like tattoos is smart material that, that you can basically put on your skin like a tattoo. And, it, and it's a combination of sensors that can sense your blood pressure, your temperature, uh, you know, your glucose level in your blood. Um, basically like an iWatch, think of it like an Apple iWatch that does all of these things uh, and, and can even maybe take your ECG, et cetera. So smart materials, at the, and nano-engineered smart materials are already around and being used, but they are more and more, it's about creating materials that really can sense at a very granular level as sensors and think of it as actuators. So, Think about, uh, uh, you know, not a, not a glove, but something that's maybe you just put you, these stickies on your fingertips and, and there are sensors that can sense what you're sensing from a tactile point of view. And that collects this information and, and communicates it over the metaverse to someone else. So- Ah, so, so it's a full body haptic suit. It's, that you Think can't of it even that, see. That exactly. So you don't actually need a full body haptic suit. It's basically materials that maybe you, you, you put smart cream on your fingers and that smart cream now you just rub it in like any other cream. Now that smart cream is a combination of sensors and actuators that actually are connected to someone 5,000 miles away who maybe is feeling the same thing that you're feeling. Uh, so if you pick up a ball, that person actually feels that their, their hand actually now closes and feels like they're holding a ball. 20 to 30 years from now, I mean, some of it may be 50 years from now, but I think the future of metaverses is really, I think what you said was right. This is whole concept of a whole body sensory experience. Can you do it remotely? Telepresence, can you be present remotely? And nanotech is the key, you think? And I, and I believe nanotechnology is the key. So what are you going to do once, you, once you've learned more about nanotech? What's the plan? I, I've not decided yet because I can, I can either go towards bio nanotech because it's biological applications mm -hmm. of this nano-engineered materials, like I told you, you know, like these things that you can put on your skin or implant in your body or, or you know, material that, you know, for example, like the last company I was on the board of, which by the way, we just sold two weeks ago, Syncardia, the artificial heart company, mm -hmm. these artificial hearts are essentially pumps. And the pumps are made out of these materials that have to be implantable inside the body. They have to be bio, 
accepting, bio-friendly. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So this, this, they may usually made out of some very smart kind of polymers that can actually go inside the body cavity and stay where the heart was mm -hmm. and not, not either infect anything, but can live there and work. Basically, it's, a, it's an electronically controlled device. Now, the future of a lot of these, uh, and by the way, one of the first things we learned in this, in this material science class was how do you choose material like what kind of titanium for replacing knee joints or mm -hmm. hip joints? So more and more, these smart materials are, are at the heart of how you design organ replacements mm -hmm. or how do you make the human body smarter from mm -hmm. a materials point of view? It's all nanoengineering. And then if you can figure out how to make a human body smarter and ability to communicate across a communications infrastructure, broadband, whatever, you're starting to now get to the point where you're really making telepresence. So the whole concept of sensory experience communicable uh, across an electronic network or across some kind of medium, communications medium. Hmm. And that, that requires the connection of the information technology with, or sorry, of, of the nanotechnology with information technology. And that, exactly. that's, um, that's a piece that I, I can't imagine yet, but I, of course, imagine I could imagine it. <laughs> like, how do, how do you get Wi-Fi on your nano cream? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I told you last time too, you know, one of the things we studied a lot about is these crystals and crystal structures are very important in how you engineer materials, understanding what kind of crystals they are, et cetera. And, and, I didn't know this and I've yet to kind of study it is that from what I understand, DNA is a crystal. Huh. The structure of DNA is actually a crystal structure. And when you, once you understand crystal structures, then you can understand how to manipulate their mechanical properties, their electrical properties, their optical properties, hmm. et cetera. And, and, and electrical properties means electromagnetic radiation. So can you actually make a crystal beam piece of information across space? using ah. electromagnetic radiation. Ah. So are people doing this? Like nano? Oh, there, there's, a lot of that is still at the science fiction level. So, okay. <laughs> but, but there is research going on. So 20 to 30 years from now, maybe 50 years from now. We'll have nano have figured, radio waves. They'll have nano devices. But there already are nano devices that are able to communicate. I mean, in a very simple way. When I say communicate, it's basically things that are capable of powering up, collecting information in the form of one, two, three, ten 10 bits, retaining that information and the ability to have that information retrieved. So yeah. a sensor that can store information and then a reader that can actually read that information and do something with it. So, and you can, and, and by the way, a, a lot of the physical devices like hard disk drives actually do operate at the nano level. Hmm. You know? at the nanoscale level. So if you think about how a magnetic head works with a tape or how a, a, you know, a laser uh, reflection device works with a, with a coated uh, CD disc or DVD disc, these are all operating at that level. When they, when they interact- Below 100, below 100 nanometers. Bits or-, or When they're figuring out, is this a bit, is this not a bit? Yeah. Uh, okay. 
Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. I, you know, you, you'd explain it to me a, a, a bit, but <laughs> now, <laughs> now I'm up to bites, maybe even <laughs> yes. uh, a gig of knowledge. Um, and that's really cool, dad. I'm, I'm super excited for for you and of course for me because i'll get to learn more about this through our conversations but hopefully the listeners of sparty cast today learned a few things i found it really interesting cool cool all right well i hope you get good midterm grades and yes uh, yeah anything you want to say to the the throngs of linkedin friends who made it, <laughs> uh, your friend who made it all the way to the end of the episode uh no what i can say is you know i'm very proud to be your father especially on i think every, everyone said oh an nsf grant is an nsf grant that means that there's a lot of people who value your work and your research i'm looking forward to what that research actually produces and i know i have a lot of friends who are very interested in this space of remote work mm -hmm. and how to manage companies lead companies how to sit on the board of a directors of a company and what questions do you ask of the CEO and the management team when you know that they have to go in this direction. So are they prepared? Do they have the right technology? Do they have the right processes? Do they have the right talents to manage people? And how do you train the senior executives and the group leaders and the supervisors to manage remote work and keep the company productive? So yeah, this is a great space, Ravi. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> even more exciting than, than I imagined when we wrote the proposal. <laughs> <laughs> which i definitely didn't expect to get on the first try but anyway okay. all right dad love you thank you for being here love you too, bye right, bye all right that was our episode with dr lakshmi ratan my dad and i hope you enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed recording it and i learned a little bit too i hope you did as well come back to sparty cast next time you can thank you so much to our production team taylor halterman and kyle Take who are helping produce this episode, making sure that we're not only on all the channels for streaming and listening in the podcast world, but also on the TikToks. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna try to get that Squid Game fame by promoting on the TikToks. So uh, if you have any insights about how to get this podcast on many for you pages. Uh, let me know. Shoot me a tweet or something. Thank you so much for being a fan. And uh, check us out again next time. Thank you for tuning into SpartyCast. Goodbye, world.